you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. And whether this is your very first time with us, whether you've been with us for years, the hope and prayer is that you would experience God in a very clear and powerful, impactful way this morning. And wherever you are in your journey of faith, whether you're just trying to figure out if this is something you're interested in or whether you consider yourself a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, again, we are so grateful to have this time together that we could sing songs praising God for who he is and what he does, that we can dive into God's word over the next several minutes together, emphasis on several, um, but, or be able to um, just experience a community um, with people around us. And so welcome, you were prayed for, cared for, and loved before you showed up or before you turned on your screen this morning. Now, we are concluding our Summer on the Mount series, and we've gone through eight weeks. This will be our final week, and I mentioned every week almost since we started that uh, this is far too quickly to go through something as deep and as beautiful and rich as a Sermon on the Mount. And so we will maybe look at another time. I think I, set, I created like a, a separate document if I were to break it down a little bit more in depth, and it's about a 30 to 40 week sermon series, so we'll see if we get to that at some point. But um, we're going to close out this together. And now there's a, uh, a premise we're going to start with this morning because what we're going to see through our text today is that there's only two choices when it comes to what we believe about Jesus and how that impacts our lives. There aren't, you know, multiple choice. It's, it's either one or the other. And so in order to prepare us, maybe with a more lighthearted example to start off our, our morning, is how many of you ever heard of games that are, uh, questions rather, that are would you rather questions? Have you heard of these before? Maybe you've had like icebreakers and everyone's like, hey, let's get to know each other. Would you rather share your deepest, darkest secrets or not? You're like, not. But, you know, there's just different ideas that you have. So here's a few of them that are a little bit more lighthearted, but might make you think a little bit. And we'll, we'll dovetail into our sermon coming out of this idea. The first one is, would you rather have to give up coffee or give up pizza for a year? How many would you rather give up pizza? Okay. How many would you rather give up coffee? All right. Looks like we have more caffeine addicts than uh, pepperoni addicts. That's good to know. All right. Next one. Would you rather have a mountain view? My first thought when I read this, I thought it said a mountain dew. I'm like, why would I want that? But would you rather have a mountain view or a lit up skyscraper outside your bedroom window? Who'd rather have a mountain view? Wow. Okay. How many would you rather have a lit up skyscraper? We are truly living in the city and the country. Like we do not want to be around all that. That's great. Okay. Let's go to the next slide. Would you rather be given a million dollars tomorrow or $10 million 10 years from now? Million dollars tomorrow? $10 million 10 years from now. Okay, very good, very good. Last one. Would you rather never age or never have to worry about money? How many would you rather never age? How many of you would rather never worry about money? Okay, all right. See, again, I don't know what this tells us about ourselves, but it's just interesting to think through because you only have a couple minutes. And notice that it's not, would you rather never age or never have to worry about money or both, right? It's either or. This is the premise of these would you rather questions is it's either this 
or that. There's no middle ground. There's no third alternative. There's no other option. It's not like, you know, when you're taking a test, it's not true, false, and sometimes, right? It's two options. And so here's where we're going to go as we look into the passage, as we close our series on the Summer on the Mount, um, through the series Summer on the Mount, for the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this by D.A. Carson. He says, the discipleship which Jesus requires is absolute. Radical in the etymological sense. Let me unpack that for a second. Etymological means the root word or where the word meaning comes from. Radical, the root of that word, is ironically the idea of root. It's going back to like a radius of a circle. It's the root. So this is, his discipleship is absolute and it brings us to the root of human conduct and to the root of relationships between God and men. A person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He walks the road that leads to life or he walks the road that leads to destruction. There is no third alternative. So as we enter into a time of prayer to ask God to meet us here this morning through his word, we're going to wrestle with this. Some of us, we're on this journey and, and we're like, okay, we've already made this decision. We follow Jesus, but... There are areas in our lives where we're trying to straddle both the world and the word. There are times where we might think, okay, well, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to give him most of my heart, but I want to keep 13% of it for myself or whatever it is. So what does it look like? And again, none of us are perfect, right? Like we're not perfect, but is our pursuit of our, what we want in our own imperfect desires or is our ultimate pursuit after the perfect one? And so as we enter into prayer, would you join me as we pray, as we enter into a series called, or a sermon called, Would You Rather? Because it's going to present us with choices, and there's no third alternative. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. Lord, I'm grateful for the fact that each person who hears my voice is someone that you've created, you've formed, and you've shaped Someone that Jesus, you died for. You lived a perfect life and you died in order to invite each person here into relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, each person who hears my voice is someone that you are calling and meeting and encouraging or challenging today. So I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our sermons, would you rather, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29 as we close out this series. Now, what I want to do is to introduce, maybe for some of you that haven't been with us the whole time, the very first sermon in this series, which is on June 25th, um, and all the sermons are available online if you want to go to follow up, but the very first one is, we actually just read the whole Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about how the whole sermon is, was about 11 and a half, 12 minutes just reading it straight through. I've done an introduction that has already lasted us seven minutes. So to give an idea that he packs so many good things in such a powerful, succinct, clear, concise, challenging, and encouraging sermon. And we called it the greatest sermon ever. What we talked about was the fact that the Sermon on the Mount points us in different directions. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words, points us Godward by showing us who Christ is what he's lived for, how he embodies the, the um, different beatitudes, how he laid down his life for us, how he did these things. It points us inward by showing us the need to look at our character, that we can't just look good on the outside and have the inside be wasting away or decaying, that we need to look inside. 
But also, it does point us outward to help us navigate different circumstances. That when we are facing the storms, will our houses or our lives be able to withstand the storms? Or when the rain comes down and the floods come up and the wind batters on the side, will we stand firm because we live our lives on Jesus and his word? Or will we have a great crash because we build our lives on anything other than Jesus and his words? So outwardly, it points us to show how are you navigating your circumstances? And it shows us that if someone slaps you on the cheek, do you turn the other cheek? If someone asks you to go one mile, do you walk the second? Are you living out your faith in such a way that it is clear to others there's something different about you? The Sermon on the Mount points us forward by showing us our commitments. Are we willing to commit to walk the narrow path? Are we willing to put God's words into practice and not just hear them, but to be doers of them? And then lastly, it points us onward by revealing our calling. It says, if you are going to be called to follow Jesus, if you decide that you're either in or out and you say, I'm in, then we have to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. And because of that, it's calling us to say, what does that kind of life look like? So I wanted to give that quick review because we're going to ask a few would-you-rather questions that are based on some of those directions, based on some of those ideas, whether it's inward, outward, Godward, forward, or onward. And so as we dive into the text, Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, the first question we're going to ask is a question that points us outward. Would you rather fit in or stand out? Now, unlike our earlier examples, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, right? Because if you'd rather fit in, you probably don't want to raise your hand in the first place anyways. But would you rather fit in? Would you rather people not notice you? Would you rather be just like one of the guys or one of the ladies? Would you just like to fit in in your classroom or in your workplace? Or would you rather stand out? It's a lot easier. We might say we want to do one thing, but as we navigate it, it's not as clear cut as we might want to admit. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 will be on the screen. You can follow along, or you can follow along in the Bibles as well. Verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, when we look around and we look at our culture, we look at a society that is, has strong moral relativism. It's a fancy way of saying moral authority or moral truth. People will see it as relative. So it's different for you than it might be for you. And so there shouldn't be, in the eyes of our culture, an objective moral truth. And so this idea, well, you know, that might be true for you, but, you know, I'm going to live my truth. And so when we live in a culture that has this moral relativism, this idea that, you know, everything's right and nothing's wrong except for the only thing that's wrong is saying there are things that are purely right and just navigating all this. You look around and you see wide is the road and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That if we are following after our own desires, I don't know about you, but my own natural thoughts, my own natural, you know, when I'm struggling or have desires to think about what I want to get done or the insecurities that I hope to be fulfilled. When I'm doing that out of my own ability or my own volition or live on my own, it rarely takes me towards God. That all of us, left to our own devices, we have within us a sinful nature that pulls us towards self rather than God. 
And so we have this question, would you rather fit in? Would you rather be someone that is going down the same road that everybody else is? And we think that, okay, what I want to do, maybe we say, I don't want to fully give into the world, and I do want to stand up for, for God, but the way we do it is not by holding ourselves to God's standard. The way we do it is by just being one step better than the world's standards. And so if God's standard is here, and, and the world is here, and we're like, okay, we just want to be a little bit better than those around us. So people might say, oh, there's something a, a little different about you. But if we extend that idea, then as the world's standards decline, if our goal is just to be one step ahead of the world rather than one step in step with God, then our standards as Christ followers will slowly decline as well. And then we look and we say, well, I'm still better than the world, but then we might say, look how far we've fallen from the standard of God. And so would you rather be someone that is figuring out, okay, I'm walking down this broad road that leads to destruction. And if we are living the way that most people are living, we're going to be following along that same path. Or are we willing to stand out? Are we willing to go upstream? Are we willing to live differently? I'm currently reading a book uh, by Craig Rochelle called Weird. Um, and some of you are like, makes sense. No. Um, but it's this idea of acknowledging that normal, what we consider normal in our culture, in our world, isn't working. And so... When I was a junior in high school, um, I wanted to, you know when you're in high school and you want to fit in by standing out, but you want to be able to say that you're standing out so that you could fit in with everyone else who's trying to stand out, right? Like there's this vicious cycle of I want to be so different that I'm just going to conform to everybody else's different. So when I was about 16 years old, um, I decided that um, like a lot of kids and guys my age, that I wanted to bleach my hair. Um, I've shared this picture before. Um, so this is me with uh, hair that I did the bleach. But now here's the problem. My hair is so dark that when you use the normal amount of time for bleaching hair, uh, it just turns Cheeto orange. And it was one of those where I even tried to do it again, like later that week, which is awful for your hair. But here's, here's the caption that I put um, for this years ago. Uh, Cheeto orange hair, check. Cut off t-shirt, check. 1989 Honda Accord, check. Photo taken by my mom, double check. And so just acknowledging that I wanted to stand out, but by my way of standing out was just, I'm going to try to fit in with others who are also trying to stand out by dyeing their hair or having 1989 Honda. Okay, no one was standing out that way. But this idea that we want to stand out, but sometimes we try to stand out for the wrong things. Sometimes we want to stand out just to be noticed as different without choosing what type of different we want to be. We, we don't want to stand out just because, you know, God calls us to live as stars, to shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. He doesn't ask us to just be less bad than the world. He calls us to shine, to not hide our light, to be able to not put it under a bushel basket, to do such good deeds that people would see our good deeds and not give us credit, but would give God glory. And so it's standing out. Would you rather fit in? And keep going down a broad road that leads to destruction? Or would you be willing to be weird? Craig Rochelle says it this way. Normal may not be good when it comes to God. I just want to be normal. I just want to fit in. He says when it comes to spiritual things, trying to fit in may not be the right thing to do. So 
When we have coworkers or friends or family that are saying things like, well, you know, you just have your God and I just have my God, or you believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe. We want to respect where people are, are with their walk with God or lack thereof. But it doesn't mean that we then say, oh yeah, well then your God is just as, as valid. Because we believe that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's not one of the many ways or one aspect of truth or partial life. He is the only way to God the Father. He's the only way to eternal life. John 17.3 says that eternal life is knowing God and the Son whom he has sent. So eternal life doesn't start when we die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts when we surrender our lives to Jesus and try to bring heaven here on earth. So the first question, it's outward. It's would you rather stand out or would you rather fit in? The second question that we wrestle with, looking at the next section, is it's an inward question. Would you rather look good or be healthy? Some of us, we might think, oh, I just want to look good. I want to be able to, to walk around and be like, oh, are you in shape? And uh, I had uh, a friend from the church very kindly last week say, are you working out? You look full. I'm like, no, I'm just getting bigger and my shirts are tighter, but thank you for noticing. And so it's this idea of, is it, is it something where we just want to look good. People are like, oh, that person has it together. Or do we actually want to be healthy? Because sometimes those are very different things. Let's continue on in the passage, starting in verse 15, or continuing in verse 15. It says here, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, remember, we're looking inward. They are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. We'll keep the slide here for a moment. So we're looking inwardly, but from afar, you could look at someone that looks like they have things going well. When we went, uh, Elise and I went, my youngest, we went to Trader Joe's last week to go shopping for, um, for groceries and we had on the list um, different produce, and so we went, and I think it was a plum cot or something. There's so many, like, mixed fruits, I get them very confused. So um, we went there, and I'm like, oh, this one looks good, but my wife has trained me well in the way I should go, and in the end, I will not depart from it. So I look on the bottom to see, like, if they're actually good fruit, and it was just completely smashed. And so I let the Trader Joe's person know, like, hey, you've got, you know, smashed fruit, and then we go, and we try to find a good one. So from the cursory glance, an initial glance, you could look and say, oh, this looks like good fruit. But you have to look a little under the surface and say, oh, no, this is smashed and this would not be, have been a good purchase. In the same way, it's recognized that from afar, there are bushes that might look like grapes can look like thorn bushes from afar. Or you might say, oh, it looks like from this distance, that person has it all together. But it's only upon closer inspection that we see that these false prophets people who are proclaiming to talk about Jesus and talk about what God's word was saying, they weren't living it out. They were sheep in wolf's clothing. They were people that were trying to, or wolves in sheep's clothing, excuse me. They're saying, listen, we look good, but inside there's ferocity there. There's someone who doesn't have the best interests of you in their hearts. They want fame or acknowledgments or credit or glory or whatever it is. And before we say, oh, well, that's just the bad people, then we need to remember the Sermon on the Mount points us inward, that there are places in which you and I fall short as well. There are areas in which people would look at our lives from afar and say, oh, that person has some good fruit. But if they were to look under the surface, you and I know our own struggles. We know our gaps. We know our temptations and our struggles. 
And so here, when it says a bad tree bears bad fruit, it sounds like it's just repetitive, but the word bad for tree and the word bad for fruit are actually two different words. So the bad tree in the English Standard Version in our men's group on this past Wednesday night, uh, one of our guys noticed that the word bad tree says diseased tree. So it's not just bad, like, oh, you're a bad tree, but it's, there's a disease. There's something wrong within the root, within the branches, within the trunk, within the process. It's a diseased tree, and it bears not just bad fruit, but spoiled fruit. So do you want to just look good from a distance, or do you actually want to have a healthy walk? If, if there's a bad tree that is a diseased fruit, or a diseased tree that produces spoiled fruit, do you want to settle for diseased and spoiled but looks good on the outside? Or are you willing to ask God's Holy Spirit to move into our hearts, to work and to move and to change and to challenge and to exhort us to not have diseased walk with God anymore? That we may walk with a limp like Jacob did throughout his life after wrestling with God, but we're still walking with God with a limp is better than walking away from him in a perfect stride. So a bad tree bears bad fruit. Are we willing to look inwardly? Let's continue on as we finish this section off here. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cast down, or excuse me, cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, if you're with us here last week, there might be a little bit of a, an acknowledgement of some tension that we see, because Last week, Jesus just told us not to judge, lest you be judged. To the same measure you judge others, that is the measure to which you will be judged. And we talked about how, even then, he talks about how in verse 6 of Matthew 7, how there are times when he says, you need to be aware not to throw your scraps before dogs or your pearls before swine. Or excuse me, what is sacred before dogs and pearls before swine. So even then, four verses, five verses later, he's saying you need to be discerning. You need to be aware. You need to judge, but not by saying you're awful, but say, what is the best usage of my time and my relational investment into people? Is it with people who will always and never be satisfied and always want more or will never open up to the gospel? Or is it to find people that their soil is ripe and to start investing there? We wouldn't say that someone was a wise farmer if they found parking lots and just kept trying to throw seed on there and say, I don't know why this isn't working. We would say that's an unwise investment of how you're trying to set seeds. We'd say, find some fertile soil and sow there. So even now, we just reread this section and says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You're not judging them in the sense of saying you're awful, but you're saying... You can look and see if someone is truly following God by the fruit in their lives. If someone stands on a chancel and on a stage and has a microphone and it seems like they have it all together, but then you look and their marriage is in shambles, their kids are the worst. You think about, oh, they have all this financial embezzlement. They have secret sins that no one... Then we say, man, it seems like they had it all together. But we can recognize a good tree a healthy tree, or a diseased tree, by the fruit. And so it's by the fruit we will recognize them. So Jesus is telling his people, 
There's two different ways to, Oswald Chambers talks about this, it's not on the screen, but he says there's two different ways to discern or recognize the fruit, especially of preachers. One is the fruit of their life, and two is the fruit of their doctrine, their theology. And so if someone lives a great life, but they're sharing a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus, of the fact that God loves us, we blew it, Jesus paid for it, we must receive him. But one of, oh, if you believe well enough, then you'll be able to get all the money you want. If you give money, then you're going to get money back and prosperity gospel and health and wealth. And saying one could look good, but the fruit isn't good. The other way is saying someone might have good theology, but their life is in shambles. Either way, we are able to discern, we're able to recognize that we don't want to just be people who look good. We want to be people who are actually healthy in our walk with God. Because as much as we might want to combine, sometimes those are very different desires. We want to have a really nice outside of the car, but we don't care about actually keeping up with it and it dies. We want to have a really nice house that looks good on the outside, but inside it is floor to ceiling with things, the people that are hoard and hold on to things. We want to be people that, or we don't want to be people that on the outside we look clean and washed and pure, but as Jesus would say to the Pharisees, inside you are rotting away. You are a whitewashed tomb because there's only death inside you because Jesus is not thrown off by the looks on the outside. He looks inwardly. Would you rather be someone who looks good outwardly or be healthy in your walk with Jesus? We continue on. Number three. This question points us Godward. It says this, would you rather be well known by people or known well by God? Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Would you rather be someone who people acknowledge and say, oh, that person, they've got it all together. Or that person, they're well known by other people. They're popular, they're famous, they're, they're I don't know, whatever it is. And we think, oh, that person has got together. Look at the following they have. Look how many social media people follow them. Look at, look at the impact that they're having. And it's, oh God, well, we did all these great things. But again, just as Jesus isn't impressed by our outward experience, um, excuse me, our outward um, presentation, he looks inwardly. Are you a healthy tree or a diseased tree? He also is not impressed by the things we say, look at all this stuff I've done for you. Because he says it's about the relationship with him that matters most. We can heap up our good deeds. We can say, God, I, I would go to church every week. I've gone to Bible study. I've served in my church. I've given regularly. I've served outside my church. I've gone on missions trips. I've, I've done all the things you want me to do. And if we're not careful... If we look to outward being well-known and winning the approval of people rather than being known well by God, we may hear some of the scariest words I believe Jesus has ever uttered. The words that we say, look at all this stuff we've done. He says, 
I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How well do you know God? Maybe a better question. How intentionally are you trying to continue to know him better? For some of us, have we crossed off the I love Jesus uh, checklist of our lives and say, oh yeah, no, I prayed that prayer when I was younger and so I love Jesus. Yes, you love Jesus, but do you know him? And does he know you? You don't know someone well if you only spend an hour with them once a week on a Sunday morning. You know someone well by having time with them in prayer and in silence and if you want to do what Pastor Evan talked about a couple of weeks ago, in journaling or whatever it may be, we don't know God or know anyone just by a very brief cursory, hi, how you doing? In the same way that you're not healthy if you only eat one meal once a week. We need to see God. We need to ask God, hey, the opinions of the people around me, the fact that people would look at these uh, the people who did these miracles, they would have others in their lives that would say, oh, that person, did you realize that person cast out a demon last week? Man, I heard that that person did a miracle last week. I heard that person healed someone last week. And they would have the applause and the approval of people. But like we've said from Galatians 1.10, that am I still trying to win the approval of men? Because if I am, then I am not a disciple of Christ. You cannot do both. It's either or. It's this or that. There is no third alternative. It's either we are pointed to God and we are asking him to know us well by spending time with him and loving him. And as it says here, doing what he says. It says, but only the one, verse 21, who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Not just one who does great things, but does what the Father wills. Is the one who is known by God. So we look at questions outward and inward and towards God. And now we're going to ask the question with the minutes we have remaining. There's two more. Forward. We talked about in the first sermon of the series that forward shows us the depth of our commitment to God. It's acknowledging how committed are we because we could come here in a church service. And I, again, I hope it's clear. I'm so grateful for all of you who are here, those of you who are joining us online. And so you might be in a, a place in your journey where just showing up today is a victory and something that we are excited about. And so I want to honor that. But I also want to say that Jesus is utterly clear in this passage that we can't just be people who hear his words. We have to be people who hear them and put them into practice. It's not about just listening. It's listening and doing. So would you rather have open ears and hear a good message or hear a good idea or, or be interested in something? Or would you rather have obedient hearts? Because if we're honest, some of us might say, I don't really want to give up what I want to do right now. You would say, if I'm really honest, I don't want to obey all the things that Jesus said. But again, friends, it's either or. It's this or that. There is no third alternative. It's not obey your own desires, obey God's desires, or just do whatever you want. There is no third. He says we are known by our obedience to God. 
We are known not just by what we hear, but how what we hear impacts how we live. Would you rather have open ears or obedient hearts? Let's close in probably one of the more famous uh, closing of a sermon, parables and and, uh, pictures that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The only difference between those who have a firm foundation and those with foundation on sand in their lives crash when the storms hit is that it's not that they heard them, they both hear. It's that this one puts it into practice while this one just has open ears without the obedient heart. Someone who thinks, oh, that was a good point in a sermon, or, or oh, I heard this uh, when I was listening to the worship music online or, or in my car, and the, and the DJ said something. That's a good point. I want to write that down. I want to I think about that. Friends, open ears is a great thing. But if our discipleship and our following Jesus stops at open ears and never makes it to obedient hearts, then we're still falling into the mistake of trying to build our lives on our own foundation. In the very beginning of Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing that Jesus says in verse 3 is the idea that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. In the very first words, Jesus is saying, listen, blessed are the people who know that they cannot be reliant on their own selves. They're poor in spirit because they recognize they don't have enough on their own to be able to have a right relationship with God. They are humble enough to know that they need to be God-dependent, not self-dependent. They need to be God-reliant, not self-reliant. And they need to be able to humble themselves enough to acknowledge their need for Jesus. And so he starts this off in Matthew 5, verse 3, and, and then he takes... 11 minutes and 50 seconds or whatever to get to this point. But now he says, where are you building your foundation? Where are you building your life? Upon what are you building your life? Is it upon the moral relativism of the culture around us? Is it upon your own whims and feelings at, at the, any given moment? Is it upon your desire for happiness above all else? Or is it upon Jesus that... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, there is no other foundation than that which can be laid, that which has already been laid in Christ Jesus. Are we building our lives on the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or do we build our lives upon our own whims that change within the hour? Are we building our lives not just on what we hear, but how what we hear changes how we feel and changes what we do? Because we've said before, sometimes the greatest journey any of us will ever have to walk or travel or navigate is the 12 inches from our head to our hearts. Because we can know things, we can hear things, we can have open ears to things, but if it doesn't make it a heart thing to the point in which we are obedient, then we see that we are still building upon what we want rather than what God wants. 
on our own desires rather than his. So when, not if, but when the storms come, when we are overwhelmed by the rains that come down and the floods that come up and the winds that beats around the house, when that happens to both, will our foundation be firm because of our obedient hearts or will there be a great crash because we never let our walk with Jesus go beyond our open ears? The very first week of our entire year, uh, this year, we talked about this passage, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. That's why I'm not spending as much time as I normally would on a passage that is rich and, and challenging and encouraging. But one of the ways we closed that section on that first sermon in January was to look at this idea that here are some commands that Jesus says. Here's a list of some practical things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount. And I challenged us. And I challenged myself to just pick one of them and do that. So for some of you, all, what you need to do is you just need to wrestle with, how do I love my enemies? And you say, that's not a just alert. That's a big deal. And you're right. But it's, it's like, hey, let's not, it's like when you try to do something, if you try to get healthy or try to, and say, hey, here are 87 things you should do to be healthy. You'll probably fail at them. But if you could pick one, and you want to invest and choose to be obedient to Jesus' words on one, which one of these would it be? It could be just as simple as be merciful. When kids are acting up and you're exhausted, be merciful. When your spouse doesn't understand what you're trying to say and you're frustrated, be merciful. If your coworker is getting under your skin, be merciful. Do to others as you'd have them do unto you. We talked about that. That's a lot easier said than done. Now, these verse references are from the Luke 6 version of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you look up the verses, you're like, I don't see this in verse 31. It's because this is Luke 6. But the list is the same. Choose one of these things and go beyond open ears this morning and say, God, I don't understand how and on my own ability I won't be able to, but you've called me to be obedient, so I'm going to choose one of these and live this out today and consistently so finally we're looking at this last question because there's just two verses left in the sermon on the mount in fact this actually isn't part of his sermon jesus ends his sermon by pointing out to people who do not follow him and do not build their lives upon his foundation his closing word is your lives are going to experience a great crash and then he had the keyboardist come in and play music, and then they pray to accept. No, it's, but it's this idea like that is, a, that is a cliffhanger. That is a step that says, I'm not sugarcoating it for you. Because sometimes when we sugarcoat things and we soften the edge of truth, we think that that's loving. But Jesus reveals to us that truth without love is not really truth. And love without truth is not really love. If we truly love someone enough, we will tell them the truth even if it hurts them in the moment because we know that sometimes momentary discomfort is worth the long-term benefits of speaking the truth in love. And so Jesus, he speaks and he says, 
Either you will be able to withstand the storm or you won't. Either you will be obedient or you won't. Either you will turn inward and see the areas in which you've fallen short or you won't. Either you're going to be so obsessed with what others think of you that you're not that you're going to decide, I don't want to follow them anymore and you're going to follow Jesus or you won't. So the last section, these last two verses, points us onward. It says, what do we do with this? What do we do with what we've heard? What is the calling to which we've received? And if we're going to live onward from this day onward, how do the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount impact us? And so this is going to sound kind of melodramatic, but it's no less scriptural than anything we've said. Would you rather choose death or life? And we think, well, that's, that's a silly question. That's a, that's a weird, like, why would you even ask that question? And the reality is, is that we look at it in other senses like health. If you say, hey, if you could just, you know, hypothetically, for people when it comes to bad health, if it's like, if you could just stop eating donuts, you'd be able to be healthier. And what do we do sometimes? We say, yeah, but, but I want donuts. And we keep eating the donuts. And we're making the choice to take a momentary satisfaction and sacrificing long-term health benefits, right? So we wrestle with this. But when I was looking at would you rather questions earlier in the week, I was looking up some that were obnoxious, like so easy and so obvious that no one would question it. So my favorite color is blue. Um, and there was one question I said, would you rather not be able to see blue for the rest of your life or look at a cute puppy. I'm like, puppy, right? Like, that's not a hard thing. Another one was, would you rather face a firing squad or not face a firing squad? You're like, well, this is obvious, right? Not So we can look at this, and it seems silly, but all of us with our decisions and our worldview and the way we live our life will ultimately answer if we're living onward towards the path of life or the path that ultimately leads to destruction and death. So here's how we close it out, verses 28 through 29, in the couple minutes we have remaining. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as our teachers of the law. He wasn't hemming and hawing and hedging his bets. He was saying, you either follow me or you don't. You either build your life upon my words or you don't. There is no third alternative. There is no secret option C. It's not true, false, and sometimes. It's either or. So these would you rather questions that force us to decide one path or the other, Jesus presents them to us today. The crowd, they were amazed. They, they heard the things that he was saying, but many of us will never go beyond being an amazed crowd and into the step of being an obedient disciple. We'll listen and think that was good. And Jesus, you've got some good points there. But the other 167 hours of our week, other than Sunday morning, show us we live differently. So what does it look like? Moses, is, he shares in the, the book of Deuteronomy. It's after um, the wilderness. This is his final message before he's ultimately going to die. The people are going to enter in, led by Joshua into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert. He takes the book of Deuteronomy to show all the things that God has done and to show them that he is their king and this whole beautiful idea of renewing the covenant. And then he does this at the very end of his sermon of Deuteronomy 30. He says this, 
He says, Moses says to the people, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. I mean, build your life on Jesus and on his words. He says, then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Now, Let's go to the next slide because this is what we see from D.A. Carson when he talks about the closing of the Sermon on the Mount. He said two ways, and only two. The Sermon on the Mount does not end with lofty thoughts of human goodness. It's not saying, well, you just try hard enough and you're good, or you know, aim for the moon and if you fail, at least you'll reach the stars. Like it's saying, there's no lofty thoughts. This is not a graduation speech that we hear every single year. It's saying that this is not thoughts of human goodness sprinkled liberally with naive hope about the inevitability of human goodness. It offers two ways and only two. The one ends in life, good fruit, entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and stability. The other ends in destruction, bad fruit, and fire. Exclusion from the kingdom along with other evildoers, ruination. These are solemn thoughts, these a man will ignore the weight of these blessings and curses only at his own eternal peril. It's either or. Two ways and only two. There is no third alternative. We cannot be a part-time disciple. We cannot be a halfway follower of Jesus. Because in order to be a follower of Jesus, we actually have to follow Jesus. So we have to do so, not that we won't stumble, not that there won't be times that he won't have to carry us, not that, that we're going to have it all together right away. But will you choose life and life to the full, even though it's a harder road, it's a more narrow gate, it's more difficult, it is not easy. I'm not winning you over to something that's going to convince you that is the simplest or the easiest way. I'm pointing to the fact that it's good and will lead to life. Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth in love. We, as we look at God's word, as preachers, as Christians, as fellow walkers on this journey, fellow sojourners on this journey, we ought to love one, enough, one another well enough to speak the truth in love. There is no third alternative. You can't show up to church and have that be the be-all, end-all of your walk with God and be okay with God. If he doesn't know you, then you're missing the point. Moses closes this way. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that may you, love, you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Choose life. It's a harder life. It's not the broad road that's easy and you can walk along with a crowd and you fit in, but choose life. Don't just be willing to look good on the outside, but be a healthy disciple. Choose life. It's not about just being well known by those around you, but to be known well by God. Choose life. It's not about just having open ears, but it's about obedient hearts. Choose life. And this is the proposal to all of us today. Look at your life. Look at my life. We got to look at our lives and say, am I on the path where I'm ultimately choosing death? 
or am I? At Moses' exhortation in, his, in the God's word and at Jesus' crying out to follow him, am I someone who's choosing life? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today as we acknowledge the fact that um, there's just a lot in this passage. There's a lot that we may want to think that we can do well enough on our own to earn salvation or to be good enough that we can just earn enough brownie points to get into heaven. But Lord, it's not about our brownie points. It's about if our life points to you, Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would challenge, convict, and encourage each of us today. If we are at a point where we look at our lives and we are not on the right path to you, May we feel your love enough to know that you wanted us here for this sermon on this day in this moment to hear this message to be able to be impacted to have a new life with you or a renewed life with you. And if we're someone that's following you for years, Lord, may we keep in step with you, continue to walk in you and with you so that we can truly be followers of you rather than people who say one thing and live another way throughout the week. So Jesus, meet us here now. Holy Spirit, work in us here now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.